Good morning. Welcome to the Australian Early Finance Briefing for Thursday, the 12th of November. My name's Nick here in Melbourne, starting firstly with the ongoing Australia-China trade war. It's having a big impact on listed companies, including those such as Treasury Wine Estates, when there was news of import bans, etc., on, on Australian wine in China. And there's been a huge amount of coverage in the media. Most of it's a sort of a sort of adhering to this dramatic narrative of this escalating war where trade relations are just breaking down ever more to the detriment of Australia, you know, in its fragile economic state coming out of the COVID recession. But when we actually look at things, there's a lot of um, sort of reaching out from China in terms of engaging back with us. And in fact, we had um, an interesting message from the Assistant Minister of Commerce on Wednesday at a press conference in Beijing saying Australia should know more clearly than China what it needs to do to improve the relationship. He also mentions that China has been pragmatic in growing its business relations with all partners, a healthy relationship needs nurturing and care of both sides. So there seems to be you know, substantial rhetoric from China that we're playing almost as dirty as they are and you know, both sides need to be lifting their game. Going on, the former Vice Commerce Minister said on Wednesday that Australia has to stop making irresponsible remarks. That's probably related to Maybe at least one part would be Scott Morrison's call for, you know, almost unilaterally calling for an inquiry into the source of COVID without sort of getting buy-in from other alliance partners. In addition, the Commerce Minister mentioned, second, you have to import Chinese products based on WTO principles, especially 5G and digital products, rather than using security grounds at will. So, you know, that's definitely relating to the Huawei ban there. And that, I think, would be a very difficult one for Australia to back down on, particularly when we're seeing you know, countries such as Sweden joining this Huawei ban. Going on, the former Vice Commerce Minister says, third, and I think this is very important, we should strengthen mutual trust. So saying, you know, there's, there's not a, a lot of trust going on. And looking at sort of where we're seeing our side of the bargain, Australia's no angel in this. You know, we're sort of seeing the mainstream media here is showing that it's all China being sort of unreasonable to us. In fact, Australia is pretty sort of liberal with its use of anti-dumping provisions. In fact, Australia has been the third most prolific user of anti-dumping provisions over the last six years globally. We've initiated 84 actions and a third of those have been against China. When you look at other nations, like for example, you know, blocks, the European Union has initiated only 67 actions over that same period. And it's quite interesting looking at what these anti-dumping measures are. They're essentially a rule that says a country cannot sell or export something at a lower cost than what it charges in its home market. But that gets blurry if it's not seen as a sort of a free and open economy. That rule can't really be applied because you can't compare apples with apples. And this has sort of been applied a bit in China, although that's now seen as an open economy. But it does show that there is this sort of real use of these anti-dumping measures by 
particular industries in Australia to almost act as a tariff barrier. So the Productivity Commission actually mentions that anti-dumping actions should have been abolished along with the tariff barriers back in the 80s that Hawke and Keating abolished, saying as they are simply a form of industry protection that results in higher prices for both industry and consumers. So definitely it's looking like Australia needs to do more playing a bit fairer on the anti-dumping provision space, but then also going to more effort to really engage diplomatically with China. Touching a bit on that, the China Daily mentioned this week, Australia should see clearly the bright prospect of the bilateral cooperation and meet China halfway to push the bilateral relationship back on track at an early date. Then in addition, a researcher at a Chinese government-connected think tank said Prime Minister Scott Morrison's government needed to act to improve the ties. Also, there's a statement saying from the same researcher that Australia should offer to send government ministers to China and express interest in Beijing's new five-year economic plan, which was only announced last week. So it's just looking like there's a lot more that could be done. Things such as the 5G Huawei bans probably off the table, but certainly there's a lot more Australia and the government could be doing to improve the relationships and lifting our behaviour on the sort of global trade stage. Moving now to the long-running debate between active and passive fund management. And whilst it's been sort of widely covered in the media that active funds typically aren't worth the extra fees paid, It was seen that 2020, due to the highly unpredictable nature of the market responding to news flow that we haven't seen for a century, pandemic-related things, that active management would really be able to step into the fore and show show their value, prove their, their worth. But that apparently just hasn't happened. In fact, according to the... S&P Dow Jones Spivet scorecard shows that about a third of US equity funds beat the broader market in the year to the end of June, so i.e. two-thirds underperformed the broader market. And then over the last 15 years, only 13% of active equity funds have outperformed the broader market, so really, really dismal performance there. Then looking a bit more recently, according to Bank of America, 40% of US equity funds have surpassed their indices in the first nine months of this year. And that's only a little bit more than the long-term average since they started recording this in 1991. So it still shows that the vast majority of active equity funds underperform the benchmarks. Not great there. And that's backed up by flows. So according to EPFR, Over the last 10 years, passive funds have enjoyed inflows of more than two trillion US dollars, whereas active ones have actually suffered outflows of three quarters of that, 1.5 trillion. And they mentioned that there's now over 12 trillion US dollars in index funds globally. And that's not even accounting for some of the passive seg mandates that the superannuation funds and sovereign wealth funds use. That's your early finance update for the 12th of November. Have a great day.
This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied upon by private investors. The podcast is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. The values of investments can go up or down, so you may get back less than you initially invest.